This is a personal and private recording by an ex-member of the US Air Force. Codename, Darkwater. Case file one, designated Stonefall. Log four. Now, it was dark. I left the sheriff's office without saying another word, but on finding that the deputy was nowhere to be seen, I made a quick detour before I left the station. I had 24 hours left and I knew exactly where I was going next. Although it wasn't late, there was no one about. Maybe their conditioning of Martha at the town hall had given the people of the town a need to reflect on their guilt. I realized how easily I was accepting this. Was their conditioning really powerful enough to wipe Martha's memory of her brother? To erase any sense of bond that they'd had, these two children who held hands everywhere they went? I approached the town hall, and with the bolt cutters I'd liberated from the sheriff's evidence room, broke the lock. It clattered to the ground. Nothing seemed disturbed, and so I made my way inside. Everything was in gloom. I had also stolen a torch and was grateful for it. I wanted to avoid attracting anyone's attention for as long as possible. The light shone on ordered rows of chairs, stretching their way up to a small stage at the front of the hall. That seemed odd to me. It was little more than a raised platform that ran the width of the hall, but I wondered whether they had much use for a stage. I certainly wouldn't like to see the Stonefall version of Oklahoma. There were some cupboards at the back of the room behind the chairs, all locked. I tried to jimmy a few of them open, but couldn't quite work out how they had been locked. There was no padlock, no keyhole. Had they been sealed shut? Then it struck me that there were no windows on the left-hand side of the hall. I had entered on the right, had only ever seen it from the right, because that was the side which faced outwards to the town. Those windows were covered with scraps of newspaper from the New Haven Register. But on the left-hand side, it was just a solid brick wall. The woods bordered that side of the town hall. Why didn't they want anyone looking out on them? I felt along the wall to see if there had once been windows now covered up, but I didn't see any gaps or incongruities in the brickwork. It had been built like this. I made my way onto the stage and found a door at the back of it. This was locked, but did have a keyhole, and it took me less than a minute to force it open. The room beyond smelt stale, like an old library. There was a counter running all the way around the edge, a kettle, a threadbare chair, and then boxes. Endless, endless boxes. They were stacked from the floor to the counter, and I found more stashed in a corner under an old blanket. Most of their contents was just junk. Some old clothes, a couple of weird ornaments, burned up candles, a couple of old bottles of spirits, and invoices for supplies for town meetings. But no actual information on what was going on in these meetings. It looked like the Stonefall lost property, a collection of all the flotsam and jetsam that had been left behind from meetings over the years. None of it any use to me. I tried box after box, working through in no methodical order and not trying to cover my tracks in any way. 
Eventually, I uncovered a smaller box, in newer condition, stashed inside a larger, slightly damper one in the corner of the room. Inside were journals. Each seemed to cover about five years, and none of them went back further than 1945. Their contents were all remarkably similar. Every so often, there was an event inked in, marked with a code. SWS. These events included speakers on fire safety, a village fair, and in 1949, they staged an amateur dramatics production of Shakespeare's The Winter's Tale. I couldn't find any reviews. If there had ever been a Stonefall local paper, they certainly hadn't kept any copies. In the current journal, why keep it stashed here with all the old ones? There were no mentions of anything recent. The disappearance, my arrival, even Elliot Hall's fake-out. must have spent a while going through all these journals, desperate to find any kind of useful detail. Because there was something that none of these journals mentioned. Something they were consistently and deliberately omitting the whole way through. The meetings. The meetings for the conditioning. And every single Friday, except one, had been left blank. I guess they wanted no paper trail of anything they were doing. The only Friday with anything written on was Friday 22nd of November, 1963. Marked with an X. The day JFK was assassinated. On finding that, I decided to stop looking through the journals. My thought process was descending into conspiracy, and that was a dangerous place to go. The only other item I had left to explore was a yellowing, brittle envelope stashed underneath the journals. Inside it were some letters, some photographs. The photographs were mostly just groups of people with indistinct faces. From their dress, I guessed that these photos predated the journals. Perhaps from the 1930s, when the town changed its name. The clearest photo was of a group of five men, standing, smiling in front of a crowd of others. They all seemed happy, arms around each other, like they'd won a prize. So this couldn't have been taken at the meetings where they decided to change their name, unless they were all so relieved to finally have settled the blame for the stonefall on someone. The letters were from a variety of different years, and I wondered why they'd all been stashed together. Some of them seemed to be letters of complaint, people objecting to strange noises, blinding lights. On one occasion, they even mentioned something unnerving happening at the water's edge. Then I made the first of several discoveries that night that would change me. The things I found that night fundamentally altered the decisions that I made from that point onwards and are part of the reason why I regret ever coming back to that town. One letter was from 1947. It was this person that had mentioned seeing something unnerving by the river in the woods. The same river that Peter Lewis would die beside one day. And when I looked down to see who had written the letter, I found it was signed by someone who had the same surname as me. I had never heard of this person. As far as I knew, I had no relation who went by the name of Violet. 
She talked in her letters of being married to someone called Richard, another name I'd not ever heard of from my parents or family back home. They said they'd just moved from Ohio, somewhere I didn't think my family had any connection to. So was this just a coincidence? Then I read the full date that the letter was written, and I realized in that moment that there was something much deeper and much darker happening here. The letter was written on the 28th of December, the same day Johnny and Martha would disappear decades later. Had everything that had happened here happened before? I couldn't take much more of this. I stashed the envelope in my pockets as I made my way back into the main hall, taking all the photos and the letters with me. And then I stopped dead in my tracks. There was a light on. Not the overhead lights, but a flickering blue light, dim and pale. There was a noise, too, like a rattling. It was a film. Someone was playing a film. Someone was here. I slowly made my way back up onto the stage. A projector had been set up, and it was playing a video onto the back wall. I could see no one else in the light that it threw around the room, and my torchlight revealed nothing. I called out. No one responded. It was a film of Stonefall, an old film. Two children, neither of whom I'd seen before, were walking towards the school. They had mirrors hanging around their necks on string. A voice boomed out over them. These two children are on their way to school. School is very important. Their education will help secure their futures and help them grow to play a vital role in our town. The children stopped, just shy of the school building, and then turned, walking instead in the direction of the town hall. But education just doesn't happen at school. Every Friday, the children of Stonefall will come to the town hall. There, they will receive important extra education to serve as a crucial reminder that misbehavior will not be tolerated. Look, the children even get these mirrors to support their extra education. They must wear them around their necks. The children take a seat and get ready for the presentation. Children will learn the importance of good behavior. Children will learn to stay with their siblings and their parents. Children will not associate with strangers. Children will not play in the woods or in the town square. Children will listen to their teachers as they talk them through their mantras. When they leave the town hall, your children will be one step closer in becoming fully-fledged, well-behaved members of Stonefall. Please remember that this initiative will only work if supported by parents and attendance at the town hall is compulsory. The film froze on the image of the two smiling, happy children. The click and hiss of the projector filled my ears. There were no other noises. 
I saw no other person. But suddenly I understood things that I hadn't understood before. I understood why the sheriff had been so reluctant to tell me things. And maybe even truly why he had abandoned those kids to the extraterrestrials. The blame. Whatever it was that had caused that stonefall, the blame had fallen on the children. And their behavior was being corrected so it didn't happen again. That was why they were conditioned. They were being brainwashed. Because the town blamed them. Stonefall was created and written by James Mortimer. It is read and co-developed by Rebecca Malewish. The voice of the film is Jacob Ruddle. Music by Kevin MacLeod at incompetechfilmmusic.io Licensed under Creative Commons. Please see the description for a full list of tracks used. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Stonefall Drama. Episodes released on the 1st and 15th of every month.